Hey there, and welcome to another episode of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith. In this episode 23, we have Samsung writes code like it's the 90s, baby boomers like Alexa, ATM use in the U.S. is more risky than ever, Verizon is just dumb, and Wired makes a ramp, and much more, so let's get started. Okay, so first up under IoT, um, as mentioned, Samsung is writing code like it's the 90s. So Samsung and their Tizen OS, which if you don't know what Tizen OS is, um, it's basically their alternative to um, using Android. So apparently a security researcher um, from Israel, he actually did some uh, testing on that particular Tizen OS um, and found 40 previously unknown vulnerabilities. Uh, so one of the quotes the researcher actually said was, it may be the worst code I've ever seen. And according to the uh, researcher, um, some of the things that he found were that Tizen, the Tizen system could be basically updated with any kind of malicious code. Um, he also stated that many of the vulnerabilities were caused by mistakes programmers were making 20 years ago. So um, that's something we've seen before in IoT where... You know, some of the same security mistakes are being made from decades ago. Um, they're using old code. Like, for example, um, I think I mentioned last week where a manufacturer, Ubiquity, um, was using uh, PHP code that was 20 years old. Um, so, yeah, so this is something we've seen before in the past when it comes to uh, IoT and the firmware that runs on it. Um, so he cites one of the examples of code that's basically or functions in code that aren't actually aren't being used anymore and it's the string copy function um, which can cause both buffer overrun conditions um, so this is something that this is a function that's no longer used by you know, programmers today however apparently samsung is using that particular function all over its tizen os um, and if you're not familiar with tizen again um, it's their alternative to android and it's running on samsung smart tvs um, smartwatches and mobile phones and probably uh, a bunch of other things um, that Samsung produces. All right, so the next story is interesting in that California is actually trying to force the issue on IoT security with a bill that's called um, California SB 327, Information Privacy Connected Devices. So basically they are trying to compel manufacturers to ensure that the devices, IoT devices, have reasonable security features, and they want to ensure that the manufacturers obtain consumer consent when collecting um, information. So I think this, I think this might be a good start. Um, but there's the usual concerns, like um, when they mention reasonable security features, who's actually going to define that? And then there's also the, you know, the information collection part, which requires consumer consent. You know, who's going to decide what types of information will require consumer consent? Um, I mean, there is one part of the bill, proposed bill that I do like, which requires the seller of the product to provide a short notice of the types of information being collected. Um, so now they, you know, now on IoT, IoT devices, there's not really anything that um, requires the manufacturers to tell, you know, anybody, the consumers, what it's actually doing. So that would actually be a good first step if they could actually 
um, compel manufacturers to actually put some kind of notice on that of what information is actually being collected. So at least the consumer could, you know, if it's on the box or whatever, it probably wouldn't be. It'd probably be on a piece of paper inside, so it'd be after the consumer bought the product, but it'd be actually cool if it was on the box so that the consumer could look at the box and be like, oh, hey, yeah, it's collecting information. I don't really want to give up, so I'm not going to purchase this product. Um, but the bill will also require the manufacturer to directly notify consumers in regards to security patches and updates, um, which, so for some IOT devices I've tested, um, it's kind of hit and miss. Some of the manufacturers will let you know, Hey, there's an update coming out and some other ones won't, but it won't, but it would be great. Um, if there was some kind of, you know, law in place that would actually make, or require uh, manufacturers to notify consumers when there's patches and updates. Now, the only the only thing being here, if it's something that notifies a consumer, hey, you need to go actually do this, it probably wouldn't get done. Um, so we're still sort of back to you know really these things probably need to just auto update and not really um, leave updating and security patches in the consumer hands, consumers' hands. But anyway, we'll see how this goes and uh, see if actually California actually is able to. Um, get this particular IOT um, security bill passed. And I thought this next story was pretty neat in that baby boomers are actually embracing the Internet of Things um, by buying devices like the Amazon Echo, for example. So apparently most of the um, reason, the big reason why they're embracing um, products like the Amazon Echo is due to the auditory interaction of devices like the Echo. So instead of having to visually interact with small screens on devices like smartphones or thermostats or things like that, it's actually easier for them to basically just say what they need to happen and then have Echo do it. So it's kind of a whole new take on, uh, you know, the, the um, commercial, if you live in the United States, the commercial, you know, I've where they show the uh, older person um, and they've actually fallen and they can't get up. So... You know, basically, it kind of be like Alexa, I've fallen and can't get up. So pretty interesting that uh, actually baby boomers are one of the people, or one of the um, demographics that's actually um, accepting Internet of Things devices. And then we have a story, another IoT story that's, this is another one that's not really that much of a revelation, but it's still interesting nonetheless. So Ponymon Institute, um, which they do various reports on and surveys and so forth on various things. So they actually released a 2017 study on mobile and Internet of Things application security. So one of the big things that came out of this report that is that basically companies are mostly unprepared for IoT risks. So again, um, like I mentioned, this isn't really a big revelation. Um, I think that's probably the general consensus that companies really aren't prepared for the risks that come around, come along with um, selling IoT devices. So some of the findings um, in the report, 55% um, of respondents say there is a lack of quality assurance and testing procedures um, for I IoT. Um, again, that's not surprising. Um, securing IoT apps is performed pri primarily via penetration testing. Um, and that's kind of, that one's kind of interesting. So I wonder how much of that penetration testing is actually from within the organizations that make the IoT devices as opposed to just random people on the Internet who, who are just trying to test these things and see what they find and then letting the company know um, any vulnerabilities they've discovered. 
The race to release products is the major cause of vulnerable devices. Um, again, that's no big surprise. They're in, the manufacturers are in such a hurry to get these things out on the market that they just they want to do these things as cheaply and as quickly as possible and get them out there. Half of the respondents think their companies have had a breach due to IoT devices, but only 4% know for sure. Um, that one's a little scary. Companies would consider increasing security budgets if a severe hacking incident occurred. Um, that was 54% or new regulations were put in place. And that was 46% of respondents. So that one's a little concerning. Um, it's not unsurprising, um, but it is still a learn concerning. Even today, you know, 2017, that basically companies don't want to increase security budgets until something bad happens. So that's kind of bad. Less than a third of respondents say they train developers on secure coding techniques. Um, that one's pretty scary. And half of respondents say that IoT testing does not even occur. Again, um, not unsurprising um, that these things aren't being tested because they want to get these things out the door as quickly and cheaply as possible. And if you try to do security testing before they're released, then obviously that's going to slow down the deployment time schedule and also raise the cost a bit. So anyway, uh, some interesting, uh, interesting survey by Ponymon. And then last but not least, under IoT, a dishwasher apparently has a directory traversal vulnerability. And apparently, initially I thought this was a consumer device, but apparently this is actually a commercial dishwasher, which actually, I guess, probably makes this particular vulnerability even a little bit worse just because it is a commercial device. Uh, but anyway, yeah, just uh, another story of a vulnerable um, IoT device. Okay, so let's move on to InfoSec. So first up, um, I found somebody put a link out there, um, which I thought was handy, to the Apple Security Updates page. So basically it's a page on Apple's website that has all the, or gives an explanation of the security updates for um, each release on Apple's uh, different um, versions of software. So they've got like iOS. So whenever a release for iOS comes out there, they basically explain what security updates were in that particular release. Uh, but the link is in the show notes. But again, I thought this was probably an interesting um, page if you deal a lot with Apple products to kind of bookmark and just keep handy um, if you're ever wondering what kind of security um, changes they're making to um, their various um, operating systems. And then the next story, um, U.S. apparently, according to a report, U.S. ATM fraud is up quite a bit, um, even though chip and pin cards have been deployed. Um, I think the for the most part, I think all the non-chip and pin cards have probably been replaced at this point. However, the fraud is continuing to increase. So according to the story, the number of payment card compromises rose 70% last year. And then compromises of ATMs and merchant devices, the actual physical devices in the U.S., rose 30%. So the story also notes that vendors are actually detecting compromises quicker now than they ever have, um, which, I mean, is great. Um, but I think in the end, um, really the big problem here is that having to swipe a card or, or insert it into an ATM or a... Um, a card reader at a gas station. Basically, I think the whole ecosystem is kind of broken at this point. 
Um, obviously, chipping pins not working. It's already been people have already found a ways to still to still skim those cards. Um, so I think we really need a different way other than actually having to physically interact um, with a card reader device. So, and I mean, and the other thing too is that because of the fraud increase, um, trying to actually use cards anywhere is just becoming more onerous on consumers. You know, even when it's just a legitimate use, it's still getting to be a pain in the neck to try to use um, credit cards or payment cards just because they're trying to verify who you are. So, you know, they want like five different pieces of information or whatever just to let you actually use it. And then the other thing I've run into personally is that even when I get fraud alerts, you know, I get uh, payments to climb because supposedly it's trip fraud alerts and that sort of thing. Every time it's ever happened is it's completely, at least for me anyway, it's been a hundred percent false positive. I've never had one detected that was actually, um, actually fraud. So, you know, basically they've got the, it's like when you go to the, back in the old days, when you go to the airport, um, and it was just metal detectors, basically if they thought anything was going on, they just turned the metal detectors way all the way up and they just ping on anything. So it's kind of like, it's kind of what's going on with the um, credit card industry right now. They basically got all their algorithms turned up to 11. So they just trip everything. So it's, you know, no matter what you do, if you do anything that's outside your regular, um, charging routine it trips it and the car just decline then you got to call them and tell them yeah it was me or whatever so i mean i think the the mobile payment with like apple pay and other similar payment solutions i mean i think those are great alternatives because um, you don't have to interact with anything and i think this is something i mentioned in a previous podcast i mean i do things like when i go to get gas i actually do it through the the gas stations app um the, the app and the app uses Apple Pay, so there's actually no interaction with me between um, having to put a card into a gas pump. Um, there's other things that use Apple Pay, so you don't have to actually swipe cards and that sort of thing. I mean, the only problem with that is that everybody's trying to get into the mobile payment game, so it's completely fragmented right now, and nobody wants to pick one. So it basically means that consumers are kind of screwed in the end because one, you know, one company may want to use Apple Pay, one company may want to use Samsung, one company may want to use Visa's payment system. Um, so until they kind of standardize on one, I don't think the payment thing is going to be. I mean, it's getting there with Apple Pay because um, a lot of retailers like Apple Pay, but still. Um, I think it's got a while to go before we can completely just get rid of cards altogether. Because, again, like I said, I think the whole, um, you know, swipe your card to pay, insert it into an ATM, all that sort of thing is just um, kind of broken at this point. So our next story involves uh, Verizon. Actually, I've got a couple stories in the podcast that involve Verizon, hence the um, opening phrase, Verizon is dumb. So supposedly, um, according to the story, they will be installing an app on their Android phones that collects data on users. So I imagine, I mean, I'm sure this isn't the first app that's been installed by a carrier that's um, collecting data on users, but uh, apparently the application is called AppFlash, um, which will install a universal search bar. And apparently, apparently the app will not be able to be removed unless you um, root your phone. So basically, um, I'm glad I'm not a Verizon customer uh, wanting an Android phone because it seems like they're based on, especially with the FTC, basically um, 
saying that it's open season on uh, uh, consumer data that's flowing across ISPs networks. Um, yeah, it looks like they're going ahead and jumping on that and uh, seeing how what what all they can get away with uh, collecting. And then we have the um, encryption backdoor um, story coming back. Um, apparently, the FBI is trying to um, get this going again, um, where um, application developers or whatever will have to, who are using encryption um, as part of their product, will actually have to install backdoors to allow law enforcement to access that data when um, the law enforcement wants to. Um, but this time around, they're trying to spin it as an international framework. Um, so it's not just the U.S. There will be lots of other, you know, Europe and so forth. Um, but all, I assume, would all be part of this framework um, for enabling backdoors to encryption. So I'm not sure how many times um, this story has to come up and, you know, various experts come forth. And basically say, hey, this is a completely horrible idea. There's no way that, you know, there can be some super secret master key that only the good guys have access to because eventually the bad guys will get access to it as well. Or the back the bad guys will fall or find the same, you know, backdoor that the law enforcement is using, um, then use it for their own purposes. But like I said, again, um, the FBI is trying to push this um, encryption backdoor again. So, and along the same lines, um, and part of this, part of the, what the FBI is trying to do is probably coming from this, um, as, you know, as they're spend, trying to spin it as an international framework. Um, there was a story that came out last week where apparently the Euro European Commission uh, was going to push for access to data stored in the cloud um, by encrypted apps, and they were going to push for this in June. Um but apparently, um, according to an update in the article, um, the original statements um, from the person um, in the European Commission that they wanted to do this in June, they've already backed away from this, stating that there is no plan now to introduce legislation covering encryption. Um, so, you know, I kind of wonder if it was like a trial balloon just to see if people were still paying attention or whatever. But... Um, yeah, apparently FBI is bringing it up, but now the European Commission has um, kind of backed off their uh, wanting to put encryption backdoors into applications. And while we're speaking about the FBI, they put out a notice that medical offices have exposed FTP servers. So I have no idea why anybody would have FTP servers exposed these days, but apparently um, a lot of the um, medical equipment uh, that doctor's offices use it or hospitals use apparently still has FTP enabled it um, for sharing data. So there's plenty of other ways to share data that doesn't don't involve um, FTP. But again, this is the uh, medical field. Um, and security in the medical field is kind of broken right now because of different regulate, regulating agencies involved. Um, but again, yeah, um, FTP servers on medical devices or in medical offices using medical devices that have FTP enabled on them. So, yeah, a little scary. And then finally, um, just to add to Semantic's already uh, problematic security issues. So apparently they've had a problem with their third-party API that uh, resellers use for um, selling Semantic certificates. So apparently this vulnerability allows, can allow someone to steal the private keys and the certificates, uh, which is super bad. 
And apparently they've known about this since 2015. And, you know, somebody, a security researcher or whatever, found this a while ago and let know, and apparently they still haven't fixed it. So, um, again, um, just another problem for Symantec right now in addition to, you know, them and Google fighting. So, yeah, you might want to, if you're using Symantec certificates, you might want to, you know, maybe take a look at somebody else in the meantime. All right, so on to um, the technology section of the podcast so I thought this story was rather humus, humorous by Wired. I mean, if you live in Atlanta and having to deal with the collapse part of I-85, it's, I'm sure it's not humorous. Uh, but anyway, Wired went to the trouble of figuring out um, what kind of ramp they would need to use um, if they wanted people to just jump the gap instead of um, taking so long to fix it. So apparently the uh, gap in the highway is like about 100 feet. So Wired figured that using a ramp that was two meters high um, a vehicle would need to be going 60 miles an hour to uh, jump the gap and that was with uh, identical ramps on the launching side and the landing side um which yeah i'm but i doubt anybody well they're not gonna they would never do that they wouldn't ever let anybody do that but the funny thing here is or the obvious question here is if they actually for whatever reason in some weird world they actually did this how many people would actually try that um, I think it would be quite a few. <laughs> and then Amazon is launching Amazon Cash. So basically this allows consumers to add cash to their Amazon.com balance um, using a barcode at a participating retailer. So now if you don't have, basically if you don't have a credit card or whatever, you can just um, go to a participating replay, retailer and um, have them add a ca use the cash to add a balance onto your Amazon.com um, account so that you could actually purchase items online. So the good news is if you're somebody who hoards cash um, and doesn't like to use credit cards or payment cards or any type of card, um, now you can actually buy stuff from Amazon now. And now we get into the uh, second Verizon story um, as part of the Verizon is dumb um, theme. So apparently, I'm sure everybody knows that, um, you know, they they were been trying to purchase Yahoo forever, for forever. Um, Yahoo obviously had um, several major, major breaches, which um, uh, you would have thought Verizon might not have just backed out of the whole deal, but apparently they didn't. They just like took some off the price. Um, but apparently Verizon is going to be rebranding Yahoo and AOL, um, as Oath, O-A-T-H. No idea what sense this makes or what the reasoning is before, behind this. Um, but I mean, basically <laughs> the first thing I thought it was Oath is like taking an oath, you know, promising to do something or whatever. Um, but basically what I came up with, um, is that Verizon likes to spy on their customers, um, Yahoo had massive breaches they didn't really tell anybody about. And AOL, I'm not really sure why they're even still around. Um, but yeah, Oath makes total sense if you look at it that way. Um, interesting. And then finally, um, Tesla, at least yesterday, um, Tesla is now, or yesterday, it was worth more than Ford. Um, and that's all on paper. Um, apparently, there, were new, there was news that came out yesterday about both Tesla and Ford. The, the news was good for Tesla, and the news for Ford was bad, um, causing Tesla's market cap to go up and Ford's to go down. So right now, um, Tesla has a market cap of like $47.46 billion, 
and Ford has a market cap of $44.89 billion. So, yeah, like I said, um, Tesla right now, anyway, at least, uh, at least yesterday, um, was actually worth more than Ford on paper. And then finally, under the random category, um, Formula One, if you're a Formula One fan, they'll be racing in China this coming weekend. Um, so that's going to be awesome. Um, Nintendo Switches are apparently warping in their docks, according to a few stories I read yesterday. So if you've got a Nintendo Switch, um, you might want to look out for that. Um, this is, you know, no big surprise here. The FCC is killing charter merger conditions. Um, basically, the FCC is just rolling back everything to the point to where I guess they won't be needed need any any longer, which maybe that's the whole point is basically just make them um, useless. So Apple, um, which I thought this was an interesting story. Apple will start making its own GPU. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what they come up with to see if their GPUs are comparable, you know, whatever they come up with or who's going to make it. If they're comparable to like, uh, say NVIDIA and AMD. Um, if you like watching or using Netflix on windows 10, apparently it's now finally, it, it finally has offline viewing available. So I'm assuming that means you can download it locally to the uh, windows 10 machine and, um, view it at your leisure. And then, um, last but not least, um, this one will probably make you laugh, but AT&T and Comcast, at least if you live in the U.S., AT&T and Comcast say they will respect you, your privacy. And I mean, this is in response to, um, the FCC basically saying that ISPs can collect whatever data they want on you and sell it. So yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see about that. So anyway, that's it for the podcast for this week. Um, if you want to reach me, I can be reached on Twitter at CraigZ28, or you can email me um, at podcast at iotthisweek.com um, for any questions or whatever. Um, but other than that, that's it for this week. Um, so have a great day. We'll see you later.